Hi there, this is Dan Jones, and this is my podcast. Here I have conversations with climate scientists, PhD students, researchers, folks who work in various branches that are relevant to climate science. This week, Ella Gilbert. Uh, Ella Gilbert is a PhD student at the University of East Anglia and jointly with the British Antarctic Survey. And uh, we had a great chat. She was just here this morning. I'm recording this intro right after the interview, basically. Uh, so everything's still relatively fresh on my mind. Um, she's working on uh, the what drives the contributions to melt of the Larsen C ice shelf that you may have heard a bit about in the news. The Larsen C ice shelf is the uh, big one that broke off of Antarctica uh, and is floating about. Um, so this show, I should tell you, is not, uh, we had a great chat, but this show is not about science. It's not about the results of the scientific process. It's rather about the journeys of individual climate scientists and what their kind of pathway through uh, life has looked like. It's about things that they've learned along the way. So it's really focused on the individuals, on the people. If you want to learn about Ella's science, uh, she has her own Twitter account. It's at uh, Dr. underscore Gilbs. That's uh, G-I-L-B-Z, uh, where she hosts her own podcast about the science that she's doing. It's called Lar Science. And it's, it's funny, I didn't know that she had her own podcast when I uh, asked her to appear on this one. Uh, I'd learned just kind of randomly later that same day that, oh, yeah, she has her own, own one. She also has a YouTube channel, which is just under her own name, uh, where she talks about science a bit as well. So she's doing lots of science outreach on her own, and uh, that's that's all very nicely covered in in her work. Um, she also uh, she's also a boxer. She has a, she's a London champion boxer, and she runs her own boxing gym called Soul Star in London. And it's a very interesting, very unique gym. We talk about it, and we talk about her uh, pathway in boxing as as well, and what that has looked like for her. Um, so we had a, a, re- a really interesting conversation contrasting and comparing her experiences with uh, in science and with boxing, looking at the similarities and differences uh, there. We were also joined by Cordelia Roberts. Cordelia is a graduate of Plymouth University, and uh, she, is, uh, she asked a few questions in there. Uh, she was visiting Bass uh, during this the, the recording, and I asked if she'd like to come along, and she did, so that was good. It was good to have her around. I think it helped the dynamic to have three people. Three people, is uh, that's a good number for a podcast, I think. Maybe you don't want too many more than that, but uh, three felt like that was a good number. So, um, yeah, I unfortunately, I had to use one microphone again. I have another microphone, but I tried plugging it up, and it just didn't work. <laughs> it didn't happen. I think the microphone is fine. I think it's a port issue, a USB port issue. Um, yeah, so I'm really pleased with this, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Um, but the audio might be a little soft again, might be just a little bit on the quiet side. So, uh, you know, you, you might not want to listen to the episode while you're, uh, I don't know, making a lot of noise in some other way, uh, like driving or something. You'll figure it out. You'll find if you want to listen to it. You'll 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 find a way. Um, yeah. So uh, without dwindling on dwindling that's not the right expression without dawdling too much um, dwindling too much let's uh, go ahead and get right into this conversation with ella gilbert and cordelia roberts 
right. Yeah. That was probably me. Yeah. It's brand new. This is Cordelia. That's me, Ella. And I literally haven't met you before. No, we yeah. haven't done this either. So, <laughs> no. pleasure. So, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for, for doing this. No problem. Yeah, I appreciate it. We might have to sit a little bit slightly closer. Yep. So, I have my second microphone, but I think um, I've got a USB port issue. Oh, dear. Yeah, so, this one is working fine. This one maybe is not working fine. Okay, is that one leaning directional? So, um, it? it has a setting where it. Uh, actually picks up from a pretty wide angle. So this is the one we used for Dave's test episode, and I don't know, I thought it was okay. I thought it went, went fine. Yeah, Yeah. so I didn't know. It's so funny how that, that happened, because I literally did not know that you had your own podcast. So I sent you the invitation to do it, to, to be on this uh, podcast. And uh, Athena actually recommended you. She oh, said nice. That, I was wondering how you, you tracked me down. Yeah. <laughs> All the way on the other side of the building, of course. Yeah, because she, uh, I told her about the idea, and she suggested you as a potential guest. And uh, so I sent you the invitation, and then I happened to go on Twitter, and someone ha had retweeted your one of your episodes that you had put up oh, recently. Cool. And uh, so I'm like, oh, I literally didn't know. Just funny how that that came up. Serendipitous. Yeah. yeah. So what's what's yours? What's yours called? It's called Lar Science. Lar Science. So it's about Lars and C. Sort of. Yeah. Mostly. Sort of, kind of. It's it's about things that are relevant. Too narrow, yeah. Otherwise, I'd have nothing to talk about after the first like two episodes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've done the ice. We've done the atmosphere. <laughs> That's it. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to make you self-conscious, but if you could nudge maybe this way, just yeah. A little sure, bit we're getting cracking my, now. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's rolling. You oh, know, right, okay. As you heard from the last one, it's not meant to be a trap. I just like to capture those first, you know, <laughs> moments awesome. of you know people getting together and saying hi and stuff, and it. And that way, there's no like formal start to it. Yeah. You know, it's just you just roll into it and talk about what you whatever you want to talk about. Sweet. So I was just telling Cordelia here that I, I did not do my homework. I didn't look up anything about you uh, on purpose. I thought I would just get you to tell me about your cool. your background <laughs> and you know, kind of how you ended up in science. So you're a PhD student. Yes. At Bath, yeah. And where's your university? What's what's the program? UEA. So UEA. So yeah. I'm going to have three UEA degrees by the end. Yeah? So it was UEA. <laughs> all, all yeah, you always there. try and get away from UEA, but it's like a vortex that sucks you in, and everyone finds it very difficult to uh, escape. I thought I'd escaped by yeah. coming to Bath, but turns out not. My home state was like that. It kept pulling me back. I kept having to move back to my home state, and now I've moved you know, <laughs> to, another, to another, another country. Another continent. So maybe, One way of doing know, it, we'll, you know. It might pull me back again. We'll see. You, you know, you can't predict these things. Yeah, so it was UEA for all, and was it doing oceanography the whole time, or did you hop around Not in different subjects? Not at all. Yeah. Um, I actually did environmental science and international development at undergrad. Cool. I was always really interested in like applying environmental and political environmental politics and environmental science to developing country contexts, because mm. there's so much going on in the, in the way of environmental exploitation in lots of countries. Um, but yeah, no, is that two I'd separate programs, or is that one? One, one degree, program? yeah. UEA does one. It's called EGID. Oh, I didn't. If you know. want to, uh, <laughs> which is a great acronym, <laughs> 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 which caused me endless therapy for for three years. But um, yeah, I ended up doing a meteorology course by by chance, and 
loved it so much I dropped a whole bunch of modules to do the next bit and mm. then got so taken away with, with it that I changed my entire career path. So that was your, your undergrad? Was, and that was my undergrad and then I did a master's in climate science. Okay. Yeah, also at UEA. Also at UEA with what, Phil Jones. What was that like? Was there a lot of, a lot of math in that? or was it? Mm. I found actually there was more maths in the undergrad. Yeah. Because I decided at 16 I wasn't going to do maths, which was like the most idiotic decision I've ever made. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of catching up to do when I got to um, degree level. So I did a lot of that for a while. In your undergrad. In my undergrad. Yeah. And then the master's I was kind of on top of it by that point. Yeah. And I did lots of energy and climate and then Antarctic stuff. So. Hmm. Energy and climate. For your, for your master's, or no, for the undergrad. For the master's, I did like energy, shipping, aviation kind of stuff, which really interested me, um, alongside more classic climate science, mm. more physical stuff. Well, I guess at least, you know, you're, you're still sort of at UEA, but you did physically move to a different city. And physically yeah, I mean, I still live in London. Place. Oh, you do? You live in yeah. London? Oh, you, you've lived in London the whole time? Cycle in London. I cycle all the way from London <laughs> all every the way. day. In fact, I never sleep. I just cycle constantly. <laughs> I've got these uh, fantastic quads, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I, I get the train, and then I cycle from the train station, uh, Yeah. which is a slightly more normal thing to do, I think. Which in Cambridge, it's not very close, actually. The train station's kind of... There on the other end of town. Ah, it's only so 15 minutes. Not too bad. You got it. You got it figured out. You got your route figured out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Plus, I mean, in London, I have to just cycle for an hour to get somewhere with no bother. Yeah. 15 minutes is nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so you. Sorry, you may have just said it, but you've been living in London the whole time, or were you? No, in I did actually live in Norwich. Live the in commute Norwich to Norwich is just a little bit too far. Yeah. I live right yeah. next to the train station um, in London, so it's okay. pretty direct. And basically roll out of bed and stumble onto a train. I know um, <laughs> there's uh, Laura Zana, who's a professor at Oxford. She also lives in London, but commutes to Oxford every day. Wow. And she says that it's actually great because she's always going in the opposite direction. Yes, yeah, exactly the else. same. Yeah, you always get yeah. a seat. She's like, I always get a table. It's always quiet. <laughs> yeah, I get loads yeah. of work done. I only do yeah. six hours in the office and just do an hour on the train either way. Yeah. So, it's yeah, it's not really that. So you're used to that. You can work on the train, so you can... Yeah, I've got it nailed now. Yeah. <laughs> get your spot, get your laptop out. Yeah. All good. Put your blinders on. Precisely. <laughs> get yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so how long have you been here? How far along in your PhD program? Um, I'm in my second year, so about a year and a, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the program seems so short to me because I, I went through a very different system where obviously the whole thing is structured uh, very differently. Um, in the U.S., PhDs can take you know four to seven years. Yeah. But part of that is because you are taking classes, you know, in the first couple years, mm. and you sort of end up putting your project together with your advisor. Like you, rather you than get having a set thing that you're doing. Yeah. Whereas here, I know that certainly you have plenty of room for input, you know, as a student. But you do arrive with a project that's kind of there and mm. um, should be reasonably well baked, I guess, by the time you get to it. Um, so those two things go hand in hand. So what's the, what's the PhD experience been like for you so far? Uh, it's really great. I've loved it. Yeah. Uh, I've got great supervisors who kind of give me the freedom to explore the avenues that I've been quite interested. They're not listening, don't worry. You can. <laughs> <laughs> no, they probably won't be. Um, but yeah, no, it's really good. I've got the freedom to do what I want, which is exactly what I need. Yeah. I think if it's too regimented, I 
Let's respond well to that. Struggle. We struggle with that, with the constraints. <laughs> you need some yeah, tools. although I do also need some kind of structure, which is a, a fine line, isn't it? There's a sweet spot, right? Mm. There's a just the right um. Because if you have no constraints, you could literally go in any direction, and that can feel a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but if you have some constraints, it gives you some idea of like, okay, well within these parameters, I can go in that direction. It feels good to have some amount of choice. Yeah. And it makes me think about how um. I can't remember where I saw this, but I just saw um, the idea that too much choice makes you unhappy, and that people are talking about like like a Netflix queue, you know, having like 10,000 choices, how it's actually overwhelming, it's like too much. Oh god, I never know what to watch on Netflix. Yeah, that maybe it would be nice to have, and that's part of why I think they do the recommendations thing, is they're trying to... Um, Narrow down. <laughs> as opposed to just coming to you and saying, which one of these, you know, 400,000 shows and movies do you want to watch? <laughs> oh, I think <laughs> that one. Yeah. They make some you know, narrower range of, of suggestions. So maybe it sounds like you're saying the PhD for you has provided a nice balance of uh, some constraints but some freedom within those constraints. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm only a little bit into my second year, so the, the math thesis writing hasn't quite struck yet, so mm. I'm still riding the nice wave. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and kind of, I'm enjoying now knowing more about my subject and not being completely clueless, which I did feel like for the first maybe year. It's good to <laughs> say that, right? It's good to it's good to get that idea out there. Is that especially it doesn't necessarily totally go away, but especially when you're first starting, you feel like what what's happening? What the whole point is that you're now? learning, and it took me a while to realize that I think because at the beginning I thought, oh my god, I'm expected to know all of this stuff. Yeah, I don't know any of it. What am I meant to do? Am I just going to blag it and pretend I know? Hmm. No, the, the whole point is that you're not expected to know anything before you start. That's the whole point. You, you learn and you read and you talk to people and that's how you do a PhD. Yeah, and you're, I mean, the, the responsibility is on you to, to do it and to learn it, but if you've got a good supervisor, they'll point you towards the right resources yeah. and they'll point you in the right direction and they'll say, okay, go read these papers. Here's why this problem is important. Because especially when you're first starting, you don't necessarily know where a particular problem fits in the wider scope of all the research that has ever been yeah. done and is currently being done. It's like you're saying, you overwhelmed know. by choice. Yeah. There's so many papers out there. Where do you begin? Yeah. And I think Cordelia and I, we were talking about that yesterday of, you know, that you, you can have a, an idea, especially like if you're an undergrad, you get an exciting idea for, oh, I want to do this. Probably the first thing that's going to happen to you, you're going to go to your a professor and say, I want to do this. Oh, 40 other people have done that already. Yeah. There's, there's literally a subfield of this field well, the, devoted well, the to... Well, <laughs> when you're an undergrad and they say, oh, yeah, this is a great idea, but it's PhD level. And you just think, why can't I do it now, though? No one's done it. I want to do it's it like now. It's like finding things that people haven't done and that aren't too complicated. Yeah, it's a tricky balance. <laughs> it's a tricky balance. To find that, yeah. Um, do you mind? Yeah. So I wanted to ask: Do you feel like you've learned a bit about research and how to do research? And like, what's what's something you've learned about that process for you? Of how yeah. how how the actual process of research works for you? And what does the kind of a typical day for you look like? Those can be sort of the same questions. Yeah, I guess I did I did some like research projects at undergrad and masters, and I was quite haphazard in my approach, yeah. I think. <laughs> and I've definitely gotten more efficient 
Um, I don't really have a typical day, I have to say. That's good. <laughs> I think it depends a lot on what I'm working on at the yeah. time. Yeah. I do have to do a lot of programming, so mm-hmm. a lot of the time I spend shouting at my computer, wondering why my code isn't running, yeah. and then realising I've put three commas in the wrong place. Um, that's part of the debugging <laughs> process. Debugging, step, that's what you call it. Step yeah. two. Aggression. Yell, yell, aggression. <laughs> that's what I call it. That's why I'm a boxer. I've got to get it all out somehow. Step two, yell at computer. <laughs> step three, realise you've been a complete idiot. <laughs> step four, start again. Uh, yeah, so I guess I do that quite a lot. And if I'm X greater than zero, throw a computer out window. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so aggression <laughs> and realizing that you've left out a semicolon, uh, that's, yeah, that's a truly deeply frustrating feeling. Yeah, or sometimes it's it's just, you know, the, like the Python package is incompatible with your platform or something really annoying that you can't even fix. Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. There's quite a, it's kind of a letdown, isn't it, when you feel like you're, you're programming and you're working on something and there's some problem. And for me, anyways, there's often this feeling that builds up of like, oh, I'm something really deeply wrong here. I'm onto something interesting. There's some mm. big problem, and it, oh, yeah, that's supposed to be a comma there instead of a. <laughs> just like a, oh, man. Just, just this comedic but frustrating <laughs> letdown, just contrast between how big you felt like the problem was yeah. and what the actual solution yeah. is. It's always funny with hindsight. I guess the, the the silver lining of that is that you can create some truly spectacularly wrong clocks or that have like you know really weird stuff going on. I mean, I've seen vector clocks that have like arrows going into the page and weird colors going on. It's great. Into the page. Or like if you had get the dimensions in the wrong the wrong way round, it's just it's fabulous. You get this kind of scrambled, you know, like staticky. Kind yeah, of... a jumbled mess. It's yeah. great. Yeah, and then you print it out and you turn it into art. And yeah, this is, exactly. <laughs> this is art, this is, You don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand my genius. There should just be like some kind of Twitter account for that where you just post all oh, the wrong plots. I bet there is. That's I, a good idea. It would just be, or an Instagram account, because you could just post loads of, I think this is just art, but actually like it's just you've messed up a plot. And yeah. I went to a conference recently that had a data as art submission and then... Alongside that was plots that went really wrong. <laughs> so everyone that submits their plots that went really wrong. Nice. Yeah, well, I think it was quite nice to acknowledge your uh, failures. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe the three, maybe uh, the people who are listening, which is going to be the three of us when we listen to yeah. this, later, <laughs> can start a hashtag or something on Twitter for you know horrible plots or bad plots or something there like that. There probably is one on like the hashtag create read that. Yeah. yeah. That'd be good one to follow to find everyone's attention. Why their PhD is going wrong. Yeah. This is really encouraging <laughs> for someone who wants to do a PhD. <laughs> Not the only one. <laughs> yeah. This is miserable. I hate it all. Avoid this. I actually remember one of my um, lectures at uni. She had she she's from America. She did a PhD, and so she had this really long, boring process. And she just kept posting all these links about how PhD can PhDs can seriously mess with your mental health. And I was thinking. <laughs> This is really not that encouraging. It's like there's like ten ways you can sort out your mental health. Yeah. After doing your PhD. Yeah. Yes. And people have like really like deep rooted issues from doing a PhD, and I'm like, work life balance. Why it's so low, like the entries into PhDs. It can be. Yeah, it can be pretty brutal. Um, and I think, 
I think my in my experience anyway, um, the problem was not the work. I was lucky enough that the problem was not the work, but the problem was the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Was just like you were saying, not getting that work life balance right. Like it's a big challenge because mm-hmm. you 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 don't have a lot of time. You're trying to learn something that's brand new for you, and you're trying to get it correct. You know, you're trying to get it at the highest level. You're trying to get everything at the highest level you can you can achieve for that. Um, so that can that can take a big toll on you. You know, you don't have a lot of money. It's kind of that that aspect of it can be frustrating. Um, but yeah, the lifestyle bit of it can be yeah. hard. It's, Twice as know, long in the states as well. Mm. Yeah, longer, <laughs> longer. I, in do, the I think three and a half years to me feels like forever. Let alone if it was twice that long, I don't think I would have done a PhD. Mm. Genuinely. Yeah, I think maybe uh, it has some advantages. It certainly has some disadvantages. I guess one advantage is if by the time you've come out of that longer process, um, you probably helped to kind of create your project because you might have a bit more confidence in terms of like, oh, I know how to put something like this together mm-hmm. from the ground up. Um, and you might, you probably, I'm, I'm speaking very broadly, but just having been in this field a bit longer, you'll probably have a bigger uh, background knowledge. Yeah. But people adjust for this. I mean, that's, you know, if you do your PhD in the UK, people know that's, that's just how it works. You start when you're young and it's short. So, you know, you do a couple postdocs after that probably. And that's, I, I'm just saying that taking into account, like the people who are hiring are aware of how that structure is different and they, yeah. will, they will take that into account. I don't think it counts against you at all. I think it's just part of, it becomes part of the landscape, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, so, but it, it was, I don't want to badmouth it because it was a really, uh, it was a really important, really great experience for me. I really liked uh, doing a PhD. But I think there's um, a balance to be struck in mm-hmm. trying to portray a realistic picture of it for people who are thinking about you know, it going down this, this road. And for some folks, it is a really rough uh, path. And there are some difficulties. Yeah. It can feel like hitting your head against the wall. And I think this is something that Dave said on the last episode, is you have to be willing to get stuck. And you have to be willing to you know, feel frustrated. And that's normal. And that's maybe that's part of it. Maybe normalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm a little bit hyper right now. I'm all over the, <laughs> I'm all over the place. Jacked up coffee. A little bit. I did have I did have my latte. I did have my latte. Do you mind if I ask about um the your, the boxing career and all of that and what no, that looks like? Do you, you want to talk about that a little bit? What was what was that like? Or where, how young were you when you got into that? Um, I guess I'd already always fancied it, having a lot of uh, excess energy. Yeah. Um, but I only started at uni, so. Okay. My then partner um, had been a boxer when he was younger. I was like, you know, I think, I, I think, I think you should go and do it. It's time. <laughs> you need to go. Probably a uh, subtly hinting that I was uh, overly <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> You've been interested in the idea for a while. Yeah, probably. Well, sort there's of. a boxing gym. In fact, the boxing gym I now box at um, was at the end of the road I grew up on. Okay. So I'd always go past it and think, oh, I really fancy. This. And that was in London. Yes. So you grew in up London. in London. London of Born and Bred, can't you tell from the funny accent? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I've only been here four years, so I'm not quite. Okay. I'm still working on my, my favorite old regional, uh... regional identification. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there was a gym down down the road. Was it something anybody in your family did, or it was absolutely just, you know, not? Not, 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 not no way. I'm from a long line of thespians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and and pacifists. So uh, it it took them by surprise, but I mean, I I took it up at nineteen. 
maybe 20 and I haven't stopped since. So it's been a, a full on six year career. I'm now I'm London champion. Yeah. Hey. That's cool. Um, and yeah, I run my own feminist boxing gym as well. Yeah. Is that the pop in London? Also, in, all of this is in London. All it's part of the London. reason why I stayed in London, actually. Yeah. Oh, that makes um, sense. Cambridge is just for you. Just come in and work. And yeah, Cambridge is workland, <laughs> so I have an interesting relationship with Cambridge. Yeah, <laughs> I know very few places in Cambridge yeah. beyond what I see on my cycling. Yeah. Cambridge isn't bad, but there are more opportunities for evening activities in London. <laughs> I think so. Know, yeah. yeah, I mean, all of my evenings consist of punching things or people, <laughs> um, probably more accurately. So, I mean, I, I'm quite limited in my my choices anyway. On my evenings. <laughs> What are you doing tonight? I'm going to punch some people. Oh, cool, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Need some context. Yeah. <laughs> they are consenting to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're, um, so you're still, still doing it. You run your own gym. You're still, um, uh, still, still active. Yes. How, how often do you do it? How often do you have like actual matches and, and things like that? Uh, that's the thing. Female boxing is getting more popular, yeah. but there's still not that many of us. Like so it's hard to find matches. Okay, so it's hard to make the events happen. Precisely, but um, I don't know. Apart outside of part like championships, I guess I probably box every few months. Okay, so they're pretty big. Like the individual boxing events are like you know. Oh, there's, there's a boxing a show every weekend. Oh, every yeah. weekend. Oh, okay. And once the yeah. season's on, boxing show every weekend because different clubs will have a different show okay. every week. Basically, um, there's so many across the country, but it's just which gyms have a relationship with each other and who's going to match each other with who and mm. finding a boxer that's fit and available and your weight at the right time. You are fit and available and the right weight. So, yeah, it's a nightmare being a, a matchmaker, I think. Matchmaking problem. Yeah. 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 Um, Easy for men because there's more of them. Hmm. Okay. Is it's it... the same with kids because they have to match for age as well, which is even harder. That must be, yeah, it must be <coughs> impossible. Nearly yeah, I, I don't fancy the job. Have mm. kids when they're boxing, because I play water at those shows, when you're um, under 17 it's all mixed. Is it mixed? No. From like a younger age? No. So just... Just not. Just I think, especially for kids, because puberty hits at different ages, yeah, I suppose, yeah. it would have a really weird effect. Mm. I just wondered if at like a certain point you're like, okay, now we're going to no, you generally don't do actual competitive bouts under a certain age. It's what they call skills bouts, which are like an exhibition. So no one wins. It would be sad to be separated, but I like hitting this person. <laughs> I want to keep hitting. I want to keep hitting. Suddenly, suddenly I can't hit it anymore. Um, yeah, so that, how do you find balancing um, the PhD stuff? Boxing stuff is I that, find is that, that all right or that is the balance. That is the balance. The boxing means because I have training times at specific times, I have to get a certain train. Yeah. I always have to leave the office at five. Yes. And I always have to get the same train in. It constrains you. It's yeah. actually very nice to have that routine. Yeah. Um, and it's great when you've had a bad day. Also yeah, quite good when you have that. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Stupid semicolon. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it in the wrong place. <laughs> Forget putting your enemies' faces on the punch bag. Just put a semicolon just on the code. Yeah. Definitely do that three times a week. <laughs> don't ask. Don't don't ask about the semicolon. <laughs> you don't want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's I do good. that. 
But that's like that's like having a, a kid for me. Uh, having a kid brackets my day now. Yeah. Like school drop off, and then I pick him up at the end of the day. So my day is very strongly bracketed, and it is it is helpful. It forces you to like okay, this is the period I have to get stuff done in. Yeah. So I think it forces you to be a little bit more focused. Yeah, I really like that. I'm not. That doesn't work every day for me. Some days I'm just not. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> that constraint. It, it can help. It yeah, can help. yeah, I definitely help. think so because you're like, right, I've got a target, I've got to get this thing done before the end of the day, and it makes you more productive. I find I'm more efficient because yeah. I do what I do in, you know, six hours. Yes. Is actually what I could be doing in ten if I was not as efficient. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, it's a bit of a myth. This idea that you can just throw more hours at something and get it to work. No, you'll it get tired you know, and you yeah. won't be efficient. There's no point. Yeah, that's right. Your effectiveness will just drop. You know, like yeah. maybe not exponentially, but your effectiveness drops. And you know, okay, you might stare at the code for three more hours, but you're gonna do five more minutes of work because you're just gonna be going. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> Exactly, and then you're going to ruin yourself for the next day and you're going to come back to it hating it rather than being like, okay, fresh mind, yeah. bang, that's that problem. I always find I have eureka moments when I'm doing things like totally unrelated, like cycling or swimming or in the middle of the gym, I'll be like, <gasps> it's the program. You said about that <laughs> like in the last episode about like putting something to the back of your mind and then just subconsciously working on it. Yeah. And then feeling like it wasn't actually you that came up with the answer. Yeah, it was like the subconscious Magic. mind. It was I've definitely wow. dreamt a solution to a coding problem wow. before as well. Woken up and be like, that is the answer. <laughs> I must write it down <laughs> immediately. I haven't, it's like 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the semicolon goes. <laughs> it's at the end of the line, not the middle. <laughs> not between the E and the G. Oh. <laughs> um, no, that's, yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly right. You put it, you work really hard on it, you put it out of your mind. And your subconscious works on it, you know, while you're yeah, brains you're are clever. Subconscious yeah, is great. Yeah, it, let it do all the work. Let it do its job. Yeah, that's right. It's so it's so counter to you know we sort of have this idea of when are you working? Oh, when I'm working, like it looks a certain way. Or you're sitting down and you're typing, but no, you know, you could just be washing dishes or boxing or doing something else. Mm. I like that comparison. <laughs> like, that's, like, that's such an obvious Those are the only you know, two like, things I do. Wash up or wash. Wash this. Those are your options. You, but... Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. You've got a lot of wash, dishes to wash. Yeah. Washing, dishes, washing dishes, boxing, and so on and so forth. <laughs> in that order. <laughs> yeah, but you're in your subconscious is working on it and it's doing the, it's doing the job and it's chewing on the problem for you. Um, what's the name of your gym? If you want to get it out there for the three like of us who are listening, <laughs> like who are listening now. <laughs> Which one? The one I oh, the, run the, or the yeah, one I Yeah, the one you run. The, you said the one I run is called Soulstar. Soulstar? Yeah. yeah. Okay. North London. North um, London. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a feminist gym. Um, oh. Tell me more about that. What is that? Um, it means that, well, it's, it's come about because... Still going. <laughs> My experience of boxing generally is that it's an intimidating, very macho male environment, and a lot of women don't go for that reason. That, yeah. And for me, like from the age of 16 to 19, I really wanted to go, but there was no way I was brave enough to set foot through that door mm. because it's such a, you know, a traditionally macho male sport. And the, think, yeah. the perception, at least, is that. And I find now that that gym is like the friendliest place 
it's such a family. I love it. It's one of my safe spaces. Nice. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't have known that before. And the pe- the people I run it with, um, so it's a women-led gym. All of our coaches are female, which I think is a unique thing. It, definitely in the UK, there's no other gym that's got all female coaches. Um, perhaps in Europe oh, as wow. well, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that is cool. We all have the same experience. Um, so Paul is from a, a taekwondo background and likes mixed martial arts, and then we've got Anna, who's a ex world champion um, Mai Thai and kickboxer, and we've all had the same experience that it's an intimidating environment for women. Yeah, you don't want to set foot through that door, and we want to create something that is open and accessible to anyone yeah. because you haven't got that bravado nonsense and the macho ego stuff yeah it's just we're all going to train together we want to we'll have similar political values that does help um so people come at it from a similar background and you know you don't have the barrier to starting that you would otherwise yeah so we have a 50 50 gender split roughly which is unheard of in the boxing world yeah i mean i spent Two years in Norwich at a gym where I was the only woman they'd ever carded, which means you fight for the gym. Um, it's now 100 years old and I'm still I'm still the only woman they've ever carded. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> as far as I know. So, so this is great. You identified, you know, a need and uh, you carved it out and you made a thing. I think that's really good. I think it's really encouraging, right? And that's um, if you see an opportunity like that. Like, don't wait around for somebody else to do it. If you see something that needs to be there and you can do it, go ahead and, and do it. Make, yeah. make that thing exist. We felt really <laughs> strongly about it as well, which I think does help, like, the passion. Yeah. And we're all very on it people. Very busy, yeah. but if we say we'll do something, we'll bloody well do it, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's good. You said your folks were, um, or you're from a long line of actors and actresses. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that what your folks do there? Um, my parents don't know, but um, my grandmother ran a theatre for very many years. Yeah. My granddad is an actor, is still acting at wow, cool. wow. 85. Mental. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my awesome. uncle is in special effects. Yeah, they're all in the biz, so yeah. to speak. My mum bucked the trend, moved to the UK, stopped, didn't work in, act- in the theatre. <laughs> yeah. So where, were, so where are your grandparents? Our family live in Canada. In Canada? Oh, okay. Yeah. Not that they're all Canadian, but... That's where they... Yeah. yeah, My mum grew up, so they've been there for a long time. Okay, yeah. So they stayed there, and your mom moved from here to the UK. To uni, yeah. Yeah, and stayed in... Yeah, she came to Sussex and and liked Brighton and then never left. Okay, yeah. (laughs) It's a nice little place for that. Yeah. I think she's got... Well, yeah. Moved to London after a while, but... So that was, it sounds like, is that a world you grew up in at all, or was that around you at all, or since it was... Can't you, you tell, know, I've you know, got uh, thespian blood. <laughs> uh, I'm a bit of a performer. Um, I did, I really enjoyed theatre and acting when I was a kid. I did quite a lot of that when I was younger. Yeah. I always wanted to be an actor, and I discovered that climate change was a serious problem, and decided that I would devote myself to that instead. How's it going? <laughs> uh, I don't really know, you know. Uh. My mates ask me, like, how 
saving the world thing going. I'm like, uh, <laughs> a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think I like a phrase that my advisor, um, I don't know if he came up with it, but it's something he told me once when we were talking about, you know, trying to make some kind of impact. He said, just put your pebble on the pile. So, yeah. And, you know, there's a big... I don't know why a mound of rocks is the analogy, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. I can go with it. I can like it. Um, yeah, just get your, get your, yeah, that's right. Go get your pebble and just put your pebble on the pile and you will help, you know, Maybe put this, like put this mountain to together. Maybe it's like a wall to get rid of climate change, to build a wall against it. Oh yeah, that will stop it. Just build a mountain. Put your, yeah, brick, mountain. Put your brick on the wall. Yeah, Yeah. Put, sure, why not? Maybe do a little bit. Good. And then all of the individual bricks assemble into some larger effort. Yeah. I, I can yeah. see that. That could make sense. That's the yeah. way I see it as well. Yeah. That you do whatever you can to contribute to the solution of a problem, yeah. and everyone else is hopefully doing what they can to contribute yeah. to the solution of the problem, at least rather than the problem itself. <laughs> at least don't smash the bricks. Like at least yeah, if that's you can, just like, mean. You know, yeah. You know. <laughs> Come on, they're trying to build a wall. <laughs> <laughs> can't you get behind this? Yeah. Put the sledgehammer down. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I, I think. I try to keep that perspective in mind because I think it can get frustrating um, uh, when you feel like, oh, well, the little bit that I'm doing isn't making any, any difference. But it's, uh, yeah, putting your pebble on the pile or putting your brick on the wall is kind of a zoomed out, zoomed out perspective. Yeah. yeah. We're all individuals and there's a whole world of people out there who are hopefully doing cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Anything else you want to talk about? Is there, um, we talked about, um, so you grew up in London, you know, and, and lived there. I guess, was that very active, very, like, you were able to, did you have a lot of freedom? Were you able to, like, roam around and do kind of what you wanted? Or, like, <laughs> roam around and do roam, roam around the streets is of Rome, London. I'm going to Harrods today, Mom. Does, 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 does Rome sound bad? It's not meant to sound bad. It's just meant to sound, you know. No, no, it's meant to just, like, give you, you know, go out and have adventures. Part of the reason I'm asking this is I grew up in the middle of absolutely nowhere, so... You know, um, I, I had to make my own fun, um, and everybody does, but I'm just, you know, the, yeah, the, 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 raw, material, of... the raw materials I was working with was just like, you know, the wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't really have that. Um, have that. I, okay. I did a lot of climbing trees as yeah. a very small little one, but um, yeah, no, I did have a lot of uh, London-based stimulation and entertainment. Yeah, okay. The whole part of London is there. Is there. <laughs> it's there for you. And there's yeah. a lot of cool stuff you can do, even if you're... Not able to drink. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Although, not that I drink anymore, but it's still when um, you're a teenager, that is an important thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's. Uh, I, I had a thought and then it evaporated and it went away. Yeah. What was it? To do. Yeah, it's, they, they do. Mm, that I live in Birmingham. And yeah. But I kind of I'm not on the outskirts, but in like one of the wards, which is Kelly Oak, which is where all the students live. A little bit further out than that, and it was just the issue of having you had to get like a bus or a train to go into the middle oh, of town. Yeah, massive, yeah. Isn't it's it? really big, and everyone doesn't think it's that big. But so I, I mean, my parents just made me do like loads of activities, which I absolutely loved, and yeah. so I was always out doing stuff. I never, there was never like anything I wanted to do other than darting down the road on my scooter. Mm. I mean, that sounds but fun. I, I mean, I, I mean, every that. day. I love doing that <laughs> yeah. after school, like. My parents yeah. were like, you can go this, like to this tree, and then you can, like, go down from there. I think one time yeah. I went up all the way up this service road. And my dad came marching up, being like, "What are you doing up here? You're not meant to be up here." <laughs> oh. and, I was like, what? 
And I think about it now, I think, I'm a victim. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of fun I had. Yeah. Collecting rocks. No, no, in case it wasn't clear, I, I wasn't so much, I wasn't complaining about my childhood. It was fine. <laughs> I, I liked it. But, <laughs> but there was just a contrast, you know, between like yeah. growing up in the woods versus growing up in London. And I, I guess growing up, I'd always, you know, the big city was always just like, wow, you know, like this thing on the hill. That I you think like we grew up faster. I think so? Sure. Yeah, you, yeah. Get, you just kind of, well, more stimulation and more stuff and more things to adjust to, I guess. I was doing faster. Yeah, things that now. I speak to like friends who grew up elsewhere now, who they were doing at like 18, 20 when I was 13, 14. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we it's just kind of, the, that process was accelerated a little bit. Yeah, because the opportunities are there to yeah, experience exactly. some of those things. Right there on your you know. doorstep. Yeah. Um, this might be a cheesy question, but I, I did find myself wondering this morning, you know, if you, and I'm, you don't, I'm not, there's no pressure, I'm not expecting you to have some brilliant answer, but, you know, are there any interesting contrasts you notice between the world of boxing and the world of science that you're involved in now, you know, similarities and differences? Interesting uh, question. Um, I guess with boxing, it's very much a community. And I suppose academia is like that as well. Like, you've got your field. Yeah. Yeah, I, d I don't know. Academia is um, an interesting beast, I, I find. I find I have a, an interesting relationship with it because, on the one hand, I think it's amazing to have this um, ability to explore intellectually and so much freedom. And as long as you're backing up all of your reasoning and justifying yourself and presenting your science in... A good way then people will accept it yeah and i think i guess it's the same with boxing like you just have to be good at what you do and people will respect that yeah i think about this mix of finding the right balance between competitiveness and cooperation i'm kind of thinking about yeah. that as an interesting because uh, part of what i i like about science is that we're we're generally all trying to do the same thing we're all trying to figure out the you know how the climate system, how the earth system operates, and yeah. how it's functioning. Um, and that there is competition because there are limited pots of money that people have to yeah. bid into. But it's always, it's kind of heartbreaking to me when these big bids pit teams against each other yeah. in like a really visceral way. Collaboration is just one of the most beautiful things about science. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I haven't resolved this question fully in my head about what that, what that right balance is. Because it's not like... I mean, some level of competition can be useful, maybe, you know, you, you need to be able to, like, defend your ideas and, sure, yeah. you know, to, um, to argue that, yes, this is why you should give me, you know, five million pounds or however much it is. You, you, do, you do need to justify that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't like the idea of that harming the collaborative nature of science. Because as soon as we, if we all, all the individual institutes, if we all start putting up walls and trying to defeat each other, then we're, we're sunk. Then we're like, yeah, not we start throwing our pebbles at each other and not <laughs> building piles, you know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're throwing the pebbles and rocks yeah. and bricks at each other as opposed to, yeah. you know, building something together. Yeah, I guess um, boxing is a very lonely sport and it's extremely competitive. Mm -hmm. Once you're in the ring, you're on your own. Right. That's, I think, partly why I like it. I'm mm. quite a solo flyer when it comes to most things. Um think that's if if you take the idealistic lovely view of science that's the main difference so mm -hmm. it's like collaboration and group effort versus you're on your own it's all on your head yeah 
there are some graduate programs that um, in the I won't name names, but uh, everybody will know which ones I'm talking about. <laughs> there are some graduate programs that uh, maybe here, but there are definitely in the states that start in that kind of sink or swim mode. Really? Of every person for themselves, like hyper competitive. You know, we're gonna. I think it can be. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, it can be really uh, awful. Um, I think I'm not trying to generalize too much because obviously people have very different experiences depending on you know, their classmates and where they end up going to grad school and what it's like, but, um, and maybe it's more true in other fields like physics than, than ours, uh, but there are some graduate programs uh, in physics that will take in as many grad students as they can, and then um, you know, they'll have these folks teach classes, they'll be TAs for classes and labs for a couple of years, and then they'll just get rid of, get rid of as many of them as they can with these qualifying exams. You know, they'll just you know, try to basically kick out as many as they can. And they will, they will couch it in the language of, oh, well, this is competition, sink or swim. You know, we're trying to make people tough. Um, it, it feels like maybe, I, I understand the logic of that argument, but it, it feels extreme to me. <laughs> you know, why, yeah. did you let, why did you let these, why did you let so many people into your program? You let them move to your city. You know, they uprooted their lives to come be here. And now your objective is to get rid of them? This, yeah. That seems bizarre to me. It seems like, you want to go to a school where you'll feel supported. This is my, my feeling, anyway. You want to go to a school where, where you will feel supported, yeah. challenged, but encouraged. There's some, there's some nice balance to strike there. Some nice and no one's getting anything out there. of that either, because part of the joy of having students at BAS, I think, is that we're contributing yeah. to the science that goes on here. It's not like a, a one-way street where we're just taking, taking, taking everything. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're learning so much and I'm getting so much from the experience, but hopefully I'm contributing as well. Yeah. And it's not just a one-way thing. Um, so in a program like that, that sounds completely cutthroat, it seems like it's all very top-down mm-hmm. in that sense, rather than kind of seeing students as a resource that the school can use itself as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, I've always felt like it feels a bit, that model feels a bit... Exploitative, like it's yeah. We're just gonna get as much cheap labor as we can, and then get yeah. rid of as many people as, as we can. Cynical. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it, it does. It does seem a bit like that. I mean, I understand that it can be hard to predict who's gonna be successful in a graduate program and who's not beforehand. I, I understand that, but um, maybe there's a kinder way to approach that. Yeah. Than just. Instead <laughs> of interviewing. Than just yeah, than just kind of culling as many people as you can. That seems cruel. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's um, that, that was something that I kind of looked for in a PhD program was somewhere I felt like that I would be challenged but supported where they were going to help me and to the thing that you were just mentioning uh, I haven't had a PhD student before I've had some undergraduate students and a master's student and uh, having a really a student who's on top of it is amazing it's just the best because you can have a good science conversation and you can give them a problem to work on and uh, then, as a supervisor, you just wait a couple of days, <laughs> and these amazing plots and things start coming back, and you can go, oh, hey, here's, here's some results we can think about, or some, <laughs> something we can, like, some progress has been made. And when you're, when you're coming out of, you know, if you haven't had that experience before, if you're used to, you know, all of the plots that you 
think about being yours that is the ones that like oh I made this and I made that yeah. that's such a neat experience they're like presents they're like gifts it's like oh, look <laughs> at that I didn't have to I do any coding for this <laughs> that's the frustrating part I never know where to put the semicolon I just <laughs> <laughs> just draw it on top just draw it just draw it on your punching bag <laughs> and, and punch it yeah so that you're absolutely right that um, you, you should know as a student you know especially if you working hard and contributing, you should know that that's really valuable to an advisor and, and to a program and to an institute. So yeah. absolutely right. You should feel like, yeah, you you are valuable and you are bringing something to the table. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully that's, uh, um, I'm sure it is for you. I hope that I'm doing that now for my, <laughs> for my own work. That's what, it, well, that's what everybody hopes. We, we all hope we're putting pebble onto the pile. Is there um is there something just as maybe a quick fire thing at the end that I'm gonna steal from another podcast? Do you have a couple short answers for um for something you've learned recently about writing, about the writing process? About writing. Yeah. Um just do it. Just do it. That's good. That's <laughs> a good short that's a good short answer. <laughs> just do it. Yeah, yeah, just do it. Stop um, thinking about doing it, just do it. There's no substitute for just do you like to do the thing where you just do it, and then even if the stuff you've written is terrible, you know you go you've back started. and you edit it later. You started. So you yeah, I do about eleven drafts of everything. Um, yeah, yeah, I do bullet points. Yeah, I never bother with sentences because the first draft, there's no point. You'll never use any of it. It's just the rough ideas, isn't it? Yeah. What's something you've learned about? You've probably given some talks and presentations and things, and have you had a chance to do that yet? Yes. You know, what's something you've learned about? That, I learned yesterday, yeah. in fact, topical, hot off the press, um, don't talk too fast and put good pauses in Yes. for emphasis Slow that down. makes you sound authoritative. Yes. Thank you, Lloyd Peck. Slow down. <laughs> this is like in the King's Speech where he makes so much pause. Yeah, I have a tendency yeah. to pause just literally spew noise. I very fast. Yeah. It's because you're excited about it. Very you excited about everything all the time. Mm. This is this, 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 and then they're like, I just got the first sentence. It <laughs> starts all of that again. That's right. Yeah, it's like um, you have to remember that you are holding a fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy, actually. <laughs> and you are spraying the audience from your fire hose, and maybe yeah. just turn the the flow speed down. Yeah. It yeah. takes people time to drink that much water. And <laughs> Drown them. Hold on, hold on, wait, hang on. <laughs> yeah. Pauses, slow down. Yeah, yeah. And your talk is really just, I mean, your talk, this is my feeling anyway, you're really just kind of trying to, advertise is the wrong word, but you're just trying to make people aware, this is the thing I'm doing. You're not going to get across all of your results no. and all of the implications and everything. You're just kind of putting you're putting a flag up and saying, yeah. "This is what I'm doing. Come talk to me, you know, or come go read the paper, or you know, let's have a longer conversation later." You can't get everything in there, right? Showcase. You just it's a showcase. Yeah, <laughs> showcase. Um, yeah. Uh, what's something you learned about science in general? You know, uh, or it doesn't have to be recently, or it doesn't have to be science know, in general. Yeah, oh. something that you maybe didn't know before you got into it, that you learned about it? I think I've learned more about the science and academia world. Yeah. Not all good. Not all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've come to the realise, well, personally, I think that unless you can talk about the science you're doing, 
to someone who is completely divorced from your subject field, in fact, someone who has no scientific background whatsoever, there is no point doing what you're doing. Mm. So unless you can communicate the science effectively to a complete bystander, why are you doing it? You just made some theoretical mathematician feel very sad. If it's valid and valuable, then I'm sure there's a way of explaining it properly. Uh, sorry, I work in such an abstract space that it <laughs> literally doesn't exist in anyone's <laughs> mind. Yeah, well, I look at these ring manifolds and look at how when you hyper perturb the. You know, oh, like stop! A... Stop! <laughs> uh, I love math, by the way, but that is one of the challenges of if you if you are in such an abstract space, then like how do you how do you get back up? How do you relate it, it to people's yeah. experience? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the benefit of doing something that is so directly relevant to an environment that you can see that you can feel or you can particularly Antarctica because everyone goes oh, wow Antarctica. Antarctica that's amazing that's so cool yeah. and you're like yes that's the response I wanted now and then you yeah. talk Here's more the science. about yeah and then they go oh okay that's I didn't want to know that much yeah. <laughs> just tell that, me how Antarctica looks pretty <laughs> that reminds me of um, two two stories um, that I'll just briefly share um, one of them is uh, it's something Richard Feynman said, I think, where he said, if you can't give, I think he said, if you can't give an undergraduate lecture on something, then you don't understand it. Yeah. Sort of that, that sort of thing, like you need to have a simple way to explain something. And then the other is another uh, story that's by a physicist, uh, where, uh, so this is an astrophysicist, and he was talking about, I can't remember who it was, I'll have to look it up later, or maybe one of our three listeners <laughs> in the room can, can tell us um, who this was. So it's an astrophysicist and he said that whenever he got on a plane, if he felt like talking to the person next to him, he would say, you know, when the question came up, oh, what do you do? He'd say, I'm an astronomer. And they would get all excited about, wow, you want stars and galaxies and planets. Yeah. But if he didn't want to talk to the person next to him, he would say, oh, I'm in physics. And they would just clam right up. And <laughs> like, Ooh, not want to Never mind. <laughs> Don't want to hear about that. Um, so, yeah, you, you want to have both you want, to have, you want to have that mode of available to you to be able to make your field relatable. Yes. And I guess that's part of what you're trying to do with your podcast, right? Which Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel as well, which is oh, doing the same thing. Nice. I've, I'm making a film from my uh, recent trip to Antarctica. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, because, like I say, science is for everybody, not just the scientists who are doing the science. Ah, I like that. That's good. I'm glad you agree. (laughs) Especially with environmental stuff. Like climate change affects everybody. The environment affects everybody. What happens in Antarctica matters for all of us. And and we're paid by everybody. Exactly. It's it's our moral duty (laughs) to communicate it to everybody in a way that everybody understands. Therefore, I use the internet. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's right. What's your, um, your podcast is... Laura Science, you said. Is that yeah. the same as the YouTube channel? Is it also? No, that's just my name, that's which is name. probably less inventive. Well, no. but I thought it's a bit more like broad ranging. Yes. Uh, and people can look at it and then think, oh, I'll look at some papers. And oh, yeah. That's it. You're just plugging citations for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's the H factor. The only thing I care about. Cite me. <laughs> as long as the citation is not, you know. YouTube Gil- Gilbert. video. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert et al. <laughs> Here's why this is a hor- this paper is horribly wrong. <laughs> it's, like, it's not, not that. Yeah. 
You feel feel good? Do you want to talk about anything else? Is that that feels like a nice place to wrap up? The science, so, the science yeah. is for everybody. Bit that feels that feels yeah. good. There's like a natural ending to it. Perfect. Yeah. Well, this is great. Thanks so much yeah, for doing yeah, that. It's been fun. You're around next week for the next. You want to do it again? <laughs> All over again. Every, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now we're ready to start. <laughs> record. <laughs> Just hit record right here. We can we can begin the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, uh, Cordelia, for sitting in as well. I think we even you have another meeting, don't you? Which I have yeah. not. I have not been watching the time, no, but now know. I'm gonna find out. Oh, I don't think we're meeting tomorrow. Yeah. What time is it now? I, I literally don't know. Oh, it's perfect. Look at that. That gives us 20 more minutes to just uh, solve a huge problem, and then. Great. Yeah. That was easy. Done. So we were. Um, I'll turn this off.